the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. George Brockler back with you here on the George Show, 710 KNUS. It's the final hour of the show before we turn it over to the big national guys. Charlie Kirk, two hours of him, then Dennis Prager, a little bit of him, some Seb Gorka, and then we go into Brandon Tatum. That takes us all the way to 7 p.m., and then I really have I think we might go dark. I don't really know what happens after 7 p.m. because I have to start thinking about getting back in bed because I'll be with you with Billy tomorrow from 6 to 10 a.m. Now, Yesterday, yesterday, historically, marked the 105th anniversary of the passage of the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution. That's the one that ushered in an era of prohibition. It is fitting that during that week and so close to that anniversary, we're joined by our next guest, the author of a new book called Colorado's Carlino Brothers. It's Mr. Sam Carlino. Sir, thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, George. Thanks for having me. Now, you sound awesome, and that's largely because you're there and I'm not. <laughs> I've been in the studio a couple times with uh, Peter, and um, I love coming back here and, and uh, hanging out with Billy and all the guys. You've got a great crew here. Now, you've got this book that's out. I can see that it's available everywhere, and specifically Amazon, Thrifts Books, all these other things. It's called Colorado's Carlino Brothers, uh, but there's a subtitle there. Tell us what that is. Uh, it's, it's a bootlegged empire, and <laughs> my uh, grandfather came over from Sicily, ended up in Pueblo. My dad and all of his brothers were born in Colorado. And in 1932, they moved out to San Jose, California, to where I was raised, out in Campbell, uh, in that area. Um, my entire childhood, I never knew the history of my, my grandfather and his brothers and what they were involved with out here in Colorado during uh, you know Prohibition. And it was quite startling to me when I found out at 18 years old, I had a, a sausage stand at the San Jose Flea Market, and I'd make sausage on Friday nights, and on Saturday and Sunday, I would go down to the flea market and sell the sausage and cheese and, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, deli items. And this old man came up at the time, this was 1985, yeah, and I was about eighteen years old, and this this gentleman was probably around seventy five years old, so that puts him being born around nineteen ten. And I asked him if he wants to try a little piece of Italian sausage, you know, sample. And he tries a bite, and he goes, "Oh, Mika, this is the best sausage I've had since Time Market." And I said, "Well, this is the Time Market recipe." Wow! And he goes, "Are you a Carlino?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "Oh my God, I know your dad. Who's your old man?" And I said, "Sam." And then he. He named off all my uncles, and he goes, I, I used to, uh, I knew those boys back in Colorado, he said. He called my, my, my dad and uncle boys. And and I go, really? And he goes, in fact, I used to work for your grandfather. I said, he huh. did. And I go, I didn't know anything about my grandfather. And in sure. fact, I remember the day he was killed. And I said, uh, killed? I'm like, no, I think you're mistaken. He um, he died of pneumonia. <laughs> 
he starts laughing. Oh, wow. That's he, what you had been told? Yeah, wow. my entire life. Uh, and he was pneumonia. My ass, he says he, he died of uh, lead poisoning. He, he, they shot him up. <laughs> goodness. And I said, oh, my God. Oh, my so, goodness. You know, the cat was let out of the bag, and, you know, my dad and his uncle and his brothers were, um, you know, they were ashamed of what their father had done and come from. A uh, pretty vicious guy. And, uh, you know, they, they hit San Jose in 1932 with their mother. The mother died three years later of cancer in 35. So they raised themselves during the Depression. They ended up all being upstanding citizens. Uh, my dad was in World War II, drafted out of high school. All my, my uncles built Liberty ships uh, in Oakland for the war effort. And, you know, they owned businesses throughout, throughout the years, and they've just been a good you know, addition to the community, 180 degrees from, from what they, they came from. And it was just um, a great thing to see, you know, how they, they, they came from what they really came from in, in Colorado uh, with, with their father being literally for 10 years the most powerful mob boss. He was, he was coined the Al Capone of Southern Colorado. Unbelievable. And, yeah. And go ahead. We're talking. We're talking with Sam Carlino, uh, author of the Colorado's Carlino Brothers, uh, and you're the namesake, I guess, of your grandfather. True. Uh, well, no. My my grandfather was Pete, and his brother was Sam. Oh, Pete. Yeah. So Pete was the boss. So, his, so Sam your uncle. was the underboss. Yeah. So my 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 uh, great uncle was Sam Carlino, and my my dad now, my dad um, was Sam as well. I'm Sam Jr. And, uh, oh, a lot of Sams. Yep, and I have. Well, they all they name their their sons after the the you know the, the 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 grandfather and then the grandfather of the the wife. So you, it's really easy to follow along in Sicilians, um, you know, the history of you know the father and then the you know the, is named after the grandfather and then the wife's father. The next son is named after the wife's father and then so on. Now. Is it Sam or Salvatore? Uh, my dad's name, real name, was Salvatore. My name is Sam. And do you yep. get that name too, or you just got straight up? Sam? I just just Sam. Yeah. But when you first heard this thing, you're 18 years old. You get this information while you're at the Italian sausage stand thing. Do you like, of course, no cell phones back in 1985? Do you then like get home and say? I got a question. Like, well, it know, actually happened the, on the way story? home. So we were driving home together, and and I asked him. I said, you know, I, I was real nonchalant about it. I didn't want to be real direct. I knew if he wasn't telling me, it was for a reason. So I, you know, I asked him, what year did you come out to California? And he said, nineteen thirty-two. And then I said, um, and what year did your mom die? And she goes, it was thirty-five. And I go, how'd she die again? She died of cancer, uh, stomach cancer. And I was like, okay, that's rough. And your dad, what year did your dad die? He, said, oh, he died in 31. And I said, how did he die again? And he died in pneumonia. And I knew that he wasn't telling me the truth, but it was for a reason. And then my cousin who was with us at the flea market, he was the first one to go home and go, we're mafia. We're mafia. And my uncle was like, no, 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 we're not. You know, But they really were um, Colorado's first organized mafia family going back to you know, they got organized in the teens. In 1916, they had the Bone Dry Act that initiated the uh, prohibition of alcohol um, in Colorado four years ahead of the 18th Amendment. So they had a four-year head start. 
on on the rest of the country. There was about three or four states that did that in 1916. So once 1920 hit, they 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 had you know they were they were established down in Pueblo, and by 1928 they come up and was taking over, trying to take over Denver. Did you before we get into some more of the history because I'm fascinated by this. Um, have you made the transition from the 18-year-old sausage salesperson to the head of a waste management empire? <laughs> Not kidding. That's sort of the... <laughs> I, I own a barbecue restaurant, so um, I stayed in the food business. <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it called Bada Bing? It's not. Is it's, it? it's Sam's no. Barbecue. It's real simple. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it located? It's in San Jose, California. We've been there 31 oh, years. I just love the... Yeah. Um, when you start digging then into the history of this, and, and once the kind of, I guess, once the seal had been broken on this secret, was it easy to get family members to be forthcoming with the the history of your family, or were they still reluctant to do it? Um, at first, uh, they were they were reluctant, and then as they got older, and as I got older, they it was easier for like my uncle to open up and my dad to open up and, and talk about it a little bit more. And then, unfortunately, my dad passed away in 2002 before I could find out um, a lot of it because they, they were starting to write books uh, about it. Um, I think Mountain Mafia really covered, did a good job. Biddy Alt um, down in uh, Pueblo wrote a nice book about, uh, you know, the overall history of, of – um, of the mob uh, bootlegging and the history of mafia in in Colorado, and she covered a wide, you know, she covered a sixty seventy year period in the book. Uh, mine focuses more more on a on a ten year area of when they were uh, really very powerful and they and they met his gruesome demise. And there's just so it's such a fascinating story because if you've seen the movie Donnie Brasco. Uh, and oh, you're, yeah. you're familiar with Joe Pistone, who who was a uh, FBI agent that went undercover into the Bonanno family. Well, the Carlino family had their own undercover agent infiltrated into the group named Lawrence Baller-Aselli. And he was uh, appointed by the U.S. Uh, attorney to, uh, along with two other fellas, to, to infiltrate and um, break the Carlino gang up. And he did. He didn't do it the way that he was hoping to do it by finding the killer of Dale Kearney, the uh, prohibition agent that was killed on July 6, 1930. But he got about it a different way, and he broke the whole family up. And I, I, I think of him as that. a hero. I think of him as a hero because he, my dad would have grown up into this life, and those boys, his brothers and him, he, you know, my grandfather already had my uncles drive in the, the sugar beet trucks off the farm. You know, driving it to the distillery. So these these kids were already being groomed for this. And when their father died, things I want to talk about with you. Uh Go ahead, sir. I'm sorry, Sam. I I, I want to ask you about that, but I do want to talk about too. uh, It it, your your dad and his brother made, I think, several trips to court on cases that they beat the rap on several times. I'm interested in that. I'm also interested in the bootlegger convention that took place yeah. in 1931 but but let me back up a little bit and ask do you know why was pueblo such a uh a, a, i guess a draw a magnet if you will for italians coming over to america well that was the steel and mining that they offered uh, they are the sister city to luca sicula in agrigento region of sicily and 
there there are actually more residents in Pueblo of descent from Lucasicula that are actually living in Lucasicula. So they put word out, uh, you know, around uh, 1910, 1915, 1920 that, that, you know, Colorado was the place to be. Um, my grandfather came in the port uh, of New Orleans. This is, he came in in 1897. So this was really before Ellis Island was um, the most prominent port to come in to. So Italians were coming into New Orleans. Germans were coming into Galveston. So, you know, they they had their own ports. They kind of, that's why you'll see a, a large German population in southern Texas and in Mexico. And a large Italian population in New Orleans. And then they branched out from there. Uh, let's get to some of the history of this stuff. I told you about some of the things I was hoping to hear about, but you can you can go any direction you want. But talk about the, your family's interaction with the court system. And this is coming from the guy who was the prosecutor out here. Yeah. How yeah. did they How did they beat the system on well, these my, things? Well, my grandfather and his and his brothers uh, they would fix juries. Uh, that would probably be the <laughs> easiest way. Uh, wow. They also had uh, a judge in uh, that. Did favors for him up in Denver at the time, and then also um, the police chief and mayor was was a friend to him in a way uh, where they they didn't come down on, especially the bombing of the house in Denver. You know, Mayor Stapleton. You know, he's no hero. This guy wasn't a good guy. He was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, and he was yep. crooked. Right. He was as crooked as they come. And Diamond Dick Reed, the police chief, was. He was given information by this undercover agent, and they could have stopped the the bombing of the house, and uh, they didn't. And you know, if you look in the book. There's there's photos from the the um, in the Denver Post on page ninety five. It, it's just devastating, but it was done so perfectly by their their arsonist Chris McCurry, who worked who was part of the Carlino gang. He blew the house straight up and straight down. The oh houses God. on either side are not even damaged, and he he told he told Pete that that he was going to be able to do that, and he did it. You know, and, and what was the reason for the bombing? They needed money, and they had the house doubly insured. Uh, the house was valued around fifty five hundred. They had two insurance policies on it, so uh, they were looking to get a payday of about eleven thousand dollars. They were fighting for control of Denver against Joe Roma and. And at that bootleggers convention that you mentioned, uh, Pete had come back from um, California. He was there a few months uh, in the fall of um, 30, going into, th- and he came right back around Christmas time, 31, or 30. Um, and in 31, January 24th, 26, somewhere in there, they had the bootleggers convention on Wheat Ridge, where they were basically going to. Uh, put a tariff on 25 cents per gallon on every gallon of liquor sold. They were going to set the price at $5 a gallon. Wow. And they were, you weren't going to be able to undersell. It had to be this price. And for that 25 cents that were being paid up to the, to my grandfather, they were going to get their political protection and they were also going to get their uh, legal fees paid. So if they did get pinched, then they would be able to, have um, all their lawyers' fees taken care of, so they would keep their mouth shut while they were in jail, and that was one of the big things that you know that they were. 
he, he was forward thinking in a way of, of kind of like the commission. He was trying to organize it in a way. But he he overstepped his bounds. He cut Joe Roma out of the deal. And Joe Roma started undercutting him as far as sales go. And he was selling oh. as low as $2 a gallon. Oh. And Joe Roma actually went down to the Pueblo area, Trinidad, and started um, really getting those guys down there to undercut as well. So um, Pete and Sam lost their a lot of their power, um, and then Sam was eventually killed in May, May 8th of 1931. And did you find out how was he killed? Uh, we we know lead poisoning, but how did it go? <laughs> yeah, he was shot. Uh, they were all shot. Um, my great-grandfather, Vito Carlino, had four boys, and all of them died of gunshot. And, Good grief. Uh, and and yeah. was it like an ambush in the middle of the night kind of thing? Nope. Did you, did no, you they find were, out how it no, went down? So, so on May 8th with Sam Carlino, he was with um, his cousin, Jim Coletti, and they were at the house where Bruno Morrow, one of their still runners, had been on the lamb. He got pinched for a uh, for a load, and he was kind of in hiding, and he come to the house, and it was a friendly conversation. Uh, my grandmother was there. She left shortly before he was shot, and my Aunt Josephine was in the bedroom with her daughter Charlotte, and as Bruno was walking out to say goodbye, he turned and he pulled out a forty five and a thirty eight and started shooting and he shot Sam in the back and went through his heart oh, and he died. Oh, geez. He died uh, there's a there's a picture of Sam that was in the New York uh, New York uh in the Denver uh, post uh, of him laying dead on his kitchen floor. And I own that original picture. I bought it off of eBay about fifteen years ago. Wow! Yeah, the original photo that was used in the Denver Post with the same stamp on the back and everything. And um, they killed him right there. Jim Coletti was injured, and um, and he and and this is not the Jim Coletti who was down in Southern Colorado. This is another cousin. His actual name was Jimmy Amore Jr., and he was um, a, a stepson of of the Coletti. So he changed his name as a young boy, but he ended up changing his name back. Have uh, you been back to Sicily to hook up with the uh, the family back there? No, I haven't. I plan on doing that in the next couple of years. I've just been so busy with so many things in my life. It's been difficult to to get away. I'm just starting to to get back since COVID's uh, done and you know get the book going again because I was out here a couple three times before COVID and uh, it, it you know we had book tours and and we talked Peter and. And um, and I've done different uh, book signings in, at the library down in Denver and Pueblo, and you know, so it's it's been uh, it's been a, a interesting ride since COVID. You know, uh, getting this do all you, back. Uh, on, on when you, couple questions: When you watch The Godfather, do you feel a special affinity for it? And two, have you did you come across any stories about horse heads or anything like that? <laughs> no, no horse heads. <laughs> Um, they, as far as the the Godfather, it, it's a romantic version of this violent life that that these these guys are they they're vicious and they're ruthless and they the, the Godfather uh, romanticized it a bit. Um, it had its quick violent you know bursts of violence, and it's in my opinion uh, the the two best movies ever made. You know, Godfather two and Godfather one in that order, but. Um, yeah, they're they're beautiful movies, but they're movies in in a sense. They, 
I think if you want to look at something more realistic, you know, Goodfellas is probably and Casino are more along the lines of of uh, what it was really like. Um, the brutality of it is is what gets lost in translation sometimes when when they when they you know the these these families were or orphaned. Uh, there was a war with the Danas, our own cousins down in Pueblo, to take control over before my grandfather was able to uh, move into Denver. He had to fight for control of Pueblo, and there was four Dana brothers, and there was four Carlino brothers. Um, Stefano left in t- uh, 1918 for New York, and he was killed out there. And then Charlie Carlino was killed in 1923 at a shootout at the Baxter Bridge um, in, in outside Pueblo with the Dana family. And they're actually our blood cousins. Uh, we're, we're fourth, fifth cousins from them uh, dating back to Sicily. I thought it was just done by marriage, but I met a family member of, uh, of Sam Dana's, did a DNA test, and it matched with my cousin. And, and that's when we realized that we were blood related. It was just crazy. They were that's amazing. like Hatfields and McCoys, you know. Well, if people want to read the book, and they should, do you have an audible version of this, by the way? Because uh, in I'm going to work on something like that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to work on getting an audible version. Um, there's digital copies <laughs> available, but you can get it on my website at carlinobrothers.com, and I can get it signed. If you if you order it through the my website carlinobrothers.com. Uh, you, you, your version will be signed, which if you buy it from Amazon or, or uh, Barnes & Noble or Target or anywhere else, um, Walmart, it won't, it won't be signed, unfortunately. When's this going to be a movie, Sam? When are we going to see the movie? Well, I have to write a screenplay first. <laughs> <laughs> Get on yeah, it, mister. Yeah. This, is, this would be super cool to have made. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing story, especially with when, when you take into account the, the undercover agent that was involved uh, that infiltrated this, um, you know, he was researching the killers of uh, the prohibition agent, uh, Dale Kearney. And there was uh, three agents that were sent down to Pueblo to um, to infiltrate the, ba- uh, the the group, the gang. And he was the only one out of the three that could get in because one of the the uh, agents got himself into jail on purpose. He pretended to be a hobo on a, on a train and he got arrested at the rail yard. And as soon as he got thrown in jail, one of Pete Carlino's um, henchmen were in jail and recognized him from Chicago. And he's like, hey, that guy's a fed. He's a fed. So he was his cover was blown. And then the other uh, agent that was involved um, Sutton, uh, was investigating Sutton's murder and disappearance, uh, another probation uh, agent. And so he was tied up there. So Lawrence Baldessari kind of made this case all on his own and ended up being Sam's bodyguard. Wow. And he was right there at the planning of the, the bombing of the house. And, and Wow. Yeah, Holy smokes. And that's the guy that came forward to the to uh, Diamond, what's his name? And he just kind of yes, blew him off. Diamond huh? Dick, yeah. He, he told him, and he just stopped giving him information. Interestingly, because, yeah, by the way, he, that, that yeah. was Billy's college nickname, but go on. <laughs> <I'm indignized>. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, one of the things was that uh, besides, you know, the mayor being crooked and the, um, and, and, um, the police chief, they had um, – Baldessari was uh, working with uh, district attorney uh, Ralph Carr. 
So Ralph Carr was, you know, his main go-between. Only two people really knew of his existence at the beginning. It was Ralph Carr and the uh, the chief down in Colorado Springs. I believe his name was Harper. And they were the only ones that could be trusted with this information because they didn't want this agent's cover blown because he would have been killed immediately. And that's, you know, the the reality of, of how brutal these guys were. There, there, was, there was witnesses that were... If if they weren't going to um, change their testimony, uh, they would be eliminated. And that That's happened. Crazy. Down, that happened down in Pueblo, and this this it, was just a, a real violent time. And you know, this this isn't even a hundred years ago. That's what's yeah, so impressive yeah, just about, uh, yeah. about this thing. I can't wait for the screenplay and the movie, but you don't have to. You can get the book from the man himself, Sam Carlino, at. CarlinoBrothers.com. Is that the right yes, website, that's correct, Sam? Yes, Thank you. CarlinoBrothers.com. You get the signed copy. You can get the book anywhere, but honestly, now that you say that, I think I'd rather have the, the signed copy. I left one Sam, with Billy been... for you. You got it. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. Now Billy can read it to me, which is great, <laughs> because as Billy pointed out, uh, I'm illiterate. So <laughs> thus the talk radio. It's not read radio. It's talk radio. Sam Carlino, thanks for taking time out of your life to come in and sit down and tell us this fascinating story. All right. I sure appreciate it, George. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. That sounds really fascinating. The only thing I regret is I'm not as smart as Pete Boyles on all the mob stuff. I think for anyone that's listened to Pete over the years, you know that Pete is a closeted wannabe mobster. I just think that he would have wanted to be there in the family in some way, just not not for the bad stuff, just for the stories and the pasta and all that other stuff. Hey, listen, we're going to cut away for a break. We're going to be... Uh, joined on the back end here by District Attorney Michael Allen from the Fight and Fourth Judicial District on a development in that Club Q shooter that took place, something we talked about with Michael before. I want to tell you about Dan Kaplis before we cut away. Dan, superstar attorney who's out there fighting the good fight. In fact, you know, he's probably got his own version of some mafia stories from having grown up in Chicago with a father, Joe who uh, walked a beat up there in Chicago. My guess is his dad came home and told him a bunch of stories about it. Um, it, He's a fascinating guy just because of where he came from and where he is now. And he, he didn't go law enforcement, but he did go fighting for victims. He did go fighting for justice. He just took it to a different arena, and that arena benefits you when you've been hurt by someone's negligence, recklessness. And sometimes intentional conduct doesn't matter if it's a a driver, a trucking company, a business. I remember Dan represented some folks that got hurt by that giant escalator malfunction many years ago there at Coors Field. Do you remember that? Um, they called they called Dan said help me and Dan went there and got justice for those folks as well. If you need justice and you need someone to help you get it, three zero three seven seven zero five 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 one three zero three seven seven zero five 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 one. You can also find out everything you want to know about him, his partner, Babar Wahid, and all the other great folks at the firm by going to dancaplislaw.com. That's dancaplis, C-A-P-L-I-S, law.com. When we come back, uh, Michael Allen, you, me, what's going to happen to that Club Q shooter? Death was on the table. What now? George Brockler, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here to the uh, soothing sounds of Fleetwood Mac 
on 710 KNUS. My thanks to Sam Carlino, author of the book, The Colorado Carlino Brothers. You can get that just about anywhere, but if you go to carlinobrothers.com, you can get that autographed copy. That's where I'm going to go and direct other friends and family to do that. Joining us on the VIP line right now, superstar district attorney from the Fighting Fourth Judicial District, Michael Allen. Sir, thanks for taking time out of your morning to chat with us. Absolutely, George. It's always fun to join you. Thank you. Folks are going to remember that much like any real prosecutor, uh, when you become DA, you put yourself at the tip of the spear on all of the big cases. And you have consistently done that as district attorney, including one we talked to you about at length, which was the Club Q shooter and how um, whatever it was you were doing preparing for trial, this guy freaked out and pled guilty to everything. And in part, based on our conversation, we thought it might have something to do with the fact that Colorado got rid of the death penalty, but the feds hadn't, and the feds were sniffing around thinking about pursuing this for death. What's happened since then? Well, basically, uh, word broke yesterday. It sounds like that the feds have entered into a plea agreement with him to avoid the federal death penalty as well, which really gets to the heart, I think, of what we talked about before, which is the death penalty still has uh, sway with people who do evil things in our community, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, if the feds didn't have the death penalty, you go to trial, right? Like you spend weeks in trial uh, for an obvious case of obvious guilt, dragging these victims back in only to get the same outcome you got with a plea, because there's a death penalty and he was trying to avoid it. That's exactly right. And, and that's the unfortunate part about this whole thing is that this guy deserved a lot more than just serving out the rest of his living days in a prison cell. He, he really should have faced the death penalty either in the state or federal system. That's the biggest disappointment I have. Did you get a chance to speak with Cole Finnegan, the uh, Biden appointed U.S. attorney, about the ultimate decision about whether they were going to pursue death or not pursue death? Was it authorized by Mother Justice back there in D.C.? Did, do you know any of those things? Only uh, superficially. We, I've talked to Cole quite a bit, and I actually appreciate uh, you know the work that they've done on this case and in, in assisting us as much as they could until we really started digging in on our side of things. But um, it, it does, any any decision on death does have to go through D.C. and the Attorney General to really give the thumbs up or thumbs down. Interestingly enough, um, it, you probably saw that the shooter out in Buffalo, New York, they are going to pursue death penalty on him. So yep. it's interesting that, that the two cases sort of running parallel track, uh, one decides to go, they decide to go death penalty, the other they decide not to. And both states do not have a death penalty. So we don't have the death penalty here in Colorado, neither does New York State. So how's that going to work? I mean, when you had the, I don't I don't know how much you can talk out of school. I'm not looking to do that. I'm not looking to throw anyone yeah. under the bus. What I'm looking to understand is, what was the ultimate analysis? Like, do you get a chance to object? And say, I mean, because it's, you know what I mean? You're the state guy. You're trapped with the system we have where we did away with the death penalty. D do you get a chance to object and say, listen, it would be great for the community if you guys could find a way to put a needle in this dude's arm? Well, I certainly expressed my opinion on it, that hopefully that they would pursue the death penalty. And, and I'll tell you, in talking with the victims in this case, uh, both the you know, family members of the people that were killed and then the people that survived, overwhelmingly people wanted uh, the ability to go for the death penalty on this case, whether it was in the state system, which we couldn't 
have and couldn't do, and I explained that to them, uh, you know, to their satisfaction. Uh, but the, but they were adamant that they wanted uh, that to be on the table. Um, so I'm very confident that the the federal uh, prosecutors knew that, and uh, you know, ultimately, it's not necessarily in their hands. And I don't have a way to object to it or veto that or anything like that. You know what? We should probably reach out to Cole's office and see if we can't get him on to say, look, are you guys going to do a press conference about the analysis here? Because the decision, yeah, it's important, but how you get there matters. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the result of this going to be in in practical terms for this guy serving a sentence? He's got life without parole times a trillion out here in Colorado. What happens to Mm -hmm. him once he takes this deal out of the feds? Where does he go? Is he in the state system? Is he in the federal system? Is it does it run concurrent consecutive? How does it work? Yeah, that's a that's a question I don't necessarily have an answer to at this particular point. It sounds like the plea is going to actually occur sometime in the near future. Uh, you know, some documents were filed to suggest that there is a plea agreement. Um, you know, he's currently serving five consecutive life sentences plus 2,208 years, as you mentioned. Basically, a trillion feels like years. a lot. Feels yeah, like it's a lot. lot. <laughs> uh, but he's been actually transferred from state custody here in Colorado up to Wyoming. And, you know, they do that oftentimes. They did that with James Holmes, uh, transfer him out of state because they're concerned about the safety of, of the individual, right? And that's what's happened here. I don't know whether this, the federal sentence is going to run concurrent or consecutive. Fact of the matter, it doesn't really matter. He's going to sit in a cell somewhere for the rest of his life. I just wish that we could have pursued the death penalty on this guy. D- does DOC tell you why they moved him to Wyoming? For for the Aurora Theater shooter, it was, um, God, whoever, uh, Rick Ramish freaked out because somebody jumped out of line and put a beating on him. Like, mm-hmm. okay. You know, um, and then they squirreled him away. Did they tell you in advance, like, here's why we're doing this or just, hey, he's going here? Uh, Basically, what you just described is the latter option. Um, Basically, just now he's in Wyoming and it's for his safety, essentially. Yeah, I've never liked that answer. Yeah, I've never liked that answer either. The, The big difference, I think they're doing a better job of notifying victims when they transfer defendants like that. I know in the James Holmes case, I think. People did not know that he was transferred out of state. It was a surprise to people, I think, right? Remember what happened, man, is that you are smart to bring that up. Um, Rick Ramish and and John Hickenlooper were maybe two of the only people on the planet Earth that knew where he went, and they steadfastly refused to give that information to victims and the public. And in something that has uh, it, largely unprecedented, in a ninety eight to zero vote, if you count both the House and the Senate, they passed a law to mandate that they now have to tell victims where they're at. So in your case, you get to be the beneficiary of the fact that the Democrat-controlled government in the past had said, no, 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 we're going to keep this a secret from people. So, yeah, they're doing better because the law says they got to do better. Yeah, interestingly enough, too, though, if you go back to that, uh, when that vote happened, the uh, state Senate was actually controlled by Republicans, if I remember correctly. So we at least had some sway with what was happening. Good point. Great point. Great point. Um, when when you look at this case, what's the is the final resolution? This guy's going to get sentenced. We're not sure if he's going feds or state or whatever. And then that's it. Is there something longer ranging about this? Like, for instance, with the Aurora Theater one, there was all this legislation that grew out of it. Is there anything that people are trying to use the Club Q experience for to try to get to some change in policy or approach that would have made a difference? 
Well, obviously, you know that last legislative session, the legislature in their infinite wisdom decided to change the red flag law, thinking that that would have stopped somebody that's got evil intent in their heart and their mind and not a chance. Uh, doing something. And it doesn't. We know that, right? That when somebody's got the, the those intentions, they're, they're not following the law anyway. And, and in fact, this guy, just like James Holmes, was doing everything to stay under the radar of, of law enforcement and nothing about a red flag would have prevented this kind of thing from happening. So there has been that sort of response to, to what happened with Club Q. Um, beyond that, I don't know that there's anything more uh, in the works. One of the things that I've actually advocated pretty strongly for is a change to the ceiling law. Um, you know, currently the ceiling law says if a case gets dismissed, uh, it gets sealed basically automatically. And the statute says that if a prosecutor, anybody in the criminal justice system essentially is asked about that case, they have to say no such record exists, which is a, a stupid thing. It's, it's basically re requiring us to lie to the public when something has happened. And the reason why that's important is this, this Club Q guy had a prior case and then the media went on this tirade blaming police and our office for that case going south. And it was really because his victims in that case refused to cooperate and went to great lengths to avoid even being served in it. And we couldn't even refute that in the media um, until we got that case unsealed through a lengthy uh, motions process. But that's one area that I wish that we could change that to. If somebody commits a, a subsequent horrible act like a Club Q shooting, any prior cases with that person should be automatically unsealed. And I've not been able to get any legislators on that. That is that's smart, man. That's really smart. Um, I can see why that would be of value, not just to you, but to the surrounding community who gets these little yeah. bits and pieces of information and wonders what the hell is law enforcement doing and why didn't they tell? Yeah. It's like, we can't, we can't tell you. Michael, the good news is this, that change in the law about red flag now empowers both you and Phil Weiser to seek some sort of red flag protection order against someone. How many times have you used that superpower so far? So, you know, what's funny about that is that on the prosecution side of things, everything that we get in a case is very attenuated by time. Um, nothing that we do is, is, you know, hot off the press, so to speak. That's really the law enforcement out on the street that's working on cases, talking with witnesses as things are happening in a dynamic fashion. So we have not used it a single time. Um, it's just it's just not a realistic way for us to engage on those types of cases. It's so smart. That's exactly the point. The idea, you remember when they originally tried to sell this to us, it was the idea that, yeah. oh, no, no, we're just going to limit it to your first responder law enforcement guys and gals mm -hmm. and the immediate family members who will know. And somehow we blew the doors off that, and now it's teachers, uh, you, Phil, people who don't get the case many times until it's way, way removed from the absolute incident that occurred, it's craziness. It's it's uh, window dressing for like we're actually doing something about the crime out there. Yeah, it, it absolutely is just window dressing. And, and it also betrays really the the way that the legislature uh, deals with things these days. Blame public officials instead of some evildoer for the evil acts that they commit. Right. Um, which is preposterous to me. How about we start focusing on there are bad people in the world. Let's do what we can to get those bad people out of the world as fast as we possibly can. And uh, I think that's just a reflection of that. And, you know, I don't know if you saw the Gazette editorial earlier this week, but there's a proposal to start paying people that are released from prison $3,000 in cash money <laughs> on the day that they I are released from prison. It's just a, 
in Colorado, with the criminal justice reform that we're dealing with, we're in, living in an upside-down world right now. Well, they're actually the victims, Michael. I don't know if you know that. They're really victims of you. Right. I mean, when you That's try right. to hold yeah. people accountable for their nefarious deeds, whether it's uh, property crimes, persons crimes, or something else, <laughs> right. you're victimizing them. I don't know how you sleep with yourself, man. Yeah. Well, likewise, George, I know that you've got a prosecutor's heart. And... <laughs> Just, I can't, it's so I, crazy. I, I probably don't have enough fingers to count all the people that you victimize that way. <laughs> when you and I started in this game 100 years ago, I could have mm-hmm. never guessed this is where we would end up by 2024. If you told me we were going to create an environment where every year we were looking to downgrade a classification of murder and we were looking to find ways to keep people out of jail on uh, cash bail and bond and we were looking for more reasons to close down prisons and parole people early independent of their performance – in the prison system, I'd have said, no, you're talking about California, man, but no, yeah. we're here. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. We're almost like California on steroids these days. It seems like Michael Allen, uh, super DA out there. Uh, first off again, congratulations on holding that guy accountable at the highest level you were permitted to hold him at. I'm bummed with the outcome from the feds. Hopefully we'll get some feedback from Cole Finnegan's office on that thing on the radio, but uh, thanks for coming on and sharing that with us. Absolutely, George. I always appreciate it. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, man. Hey, that's Michael Allen from the Fight and Fourth Judicial District. We're going to cut away for our last break. When we come back, we'll get to the texts. Any calls, too? Any thoughts on that? 303-696-1971. It's George Brockler on The George Show, 710 KNUS. George Brockler back with you here at 710 KNUS. My thanks to Michael Allen. Uh, always great to have Michael on such short notice take time out of his day to uh, to call in and bring us up to speed on this. If you hadn't seen this thing, the Club Q shooter is going to avoid death through a plea deal that is largely irrelevant with the feds. I mean, who cares if he pleads guilty to a single federal crime? The only important part of prosecuting him by the feds was to get him into a place where we could put a needle in his arm and he could pay the ultimate price for that ultimate crime. But it didn't happen. I don't know why. I don't know why the feds gave up on it. I don't know if they were told, hey, you're not going to get approval for it, for just so just threaten it and see if you can get a deal for some civil rights violation. But who cares, man? I mean, who cares what he pleads guilty to at the federal level? He's already going to be doing five consecutive life sentences plus over 2,000 years thanks to the efforts of Michael Allen and the team down there at the 4th Judicial. Hey, uh, Superstar also was a guy named Mitch Floria from the Art of Granite. This is a guy who will upgrade the interior of your home in that very visible way. Countertops, kitchen, bathroom, laundry, maybe it's the finished basement. Give him a call. You get more than just the wholesale prices that he gives to everybody because he's a great businessman. You tell him you're a George listener, a 710 listener, and he throws in stuff for free, like, for instance, the bathroom countertop with the kitchen countertop package. Or if you're just doing one room, he'll throw in the sink for free. He also gives you his phone to call him on 303-386-5919, 303 
386-5919. When you reach him, tell Mitch that uh, that crazy George guy on the radio told you to do it. You can also look at what they have going on at theartofgranite.com. That's theartofgranite.com. Huge show today as we wrap this thing up. I wish I could remember all the guests that we had. Uh, the Art Acevedo departing, Sam Carlino and his great book, The Colorado Carlino Brothers, and, of course, Michael Allen and you. You made the show awesome. We'll do it again tomorrow. Stick around for that. George Brockler, 710 KNUS. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.